It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Well, good morning. This is the eighth and final week of our Keep the Faith series. So that's the last time you're going to see John Bon Jovi. Well, it probably isn't the last time you're going to see John Bon Jovi on the screen, but at least for a little while. Some people find him attractive, apparently, um, including my wife. This series, uh, just to catch you up, I see a few new faces. Great to have you here. Just to catch you up. Um, has been focused on unpacking a list of people who ultimately became sort of faith heroes in history. And they're written about in a part of the Bible called Hebrews. It was a letter written to the Jewish Christians who at the time, many had been facing persecution. You know, they'd been seen as like abandoning the faith of their ancestors, the Jewish faith, almost like traitors in a sense. And uh, they'd faced persecution. They'd lost relationships. They'd lost possessions in some cases. And a growing number of them had either started to turn back to Judaism or were considering it. You know, this idea of, is this actually worth it? Do I really wanna put myself and my family through this persecution? any longer. And so the writer wrote this letter to that group. And, and, and one of the things that the writer did was list off heroes of the faith for whom they hadn't had it easy. And yet they had through faith and perseverance, they'd ultimately did, you know, did what God called them to do. And it was meant to be an encouragement to them, you know, just like they did it. Hey, you can do it too. Uh, they didn't start out as heroes in many cases, and that's been a bit of a consistent theme throughout this. And the list of these people is kind of known as the Hall of Faith. Now, if you uh, missed any of those weeks, you want to catch up, uh, you can catch them up on our podcast, which you can jump to any of your favourite podcast platforms. Coming up on the screen now are some examples. Just search Elevate Church Perth in your thing. And by the way, if uh, those of you who are new or newer here, may not know, we already also have an app and you can find our app, Elevate Church AU, coming up on the screens right now, today on the App Store or the Google Play Store. So type in Elevate Church AU. That actually has our podcast baked into it as well as our online experience and a few other neat features as well. So if you haven't already grabbed that, make sure you do. Now, speaking of cameras and phones and stuff, if you've got your smartphone camera, how about you scan this flow code? It's actually going to take us to Hebrews chapter 12. So we're literally opening up a new chapter. While you're doing that, and before I jump into that, last week, we the, the, the Hall of Faith inductee that we looked at is a guy named Gideon. And God raised him up from a coward and ultimately to become a mighty hero and a mighty warrior. And and. Gideon led the Israelites to defeat an enemy that, that had been oppressing them for the previous seven years. One of the things I didn't have time to cover off, and I just want to double click on it very quickly today, is at the time in history that Gideon kind of rose to prominence, the Israelites had taken possession of some of the land God had promised them, but not all of it. 
and, and, and in effect, what they had done is they had settled. You know, they'd been brought out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They'd endured 40 years wandering around in the desert. Now they'd taken possession of some of the land God had promised them. Not all of it. But it was like, well, now get this. Let's have an honest moment here, shall we? They may have said things like, well, at least it's better than it was. I mean, you know, it's near enough. I mean, it's not everything God promised, but, you know, I mean, and, and you chuckle and we chuckle because, because you and I know how easy it is to settle and we justify it. It's close enough. It's good enough. It's better than it was. And yet God would be saying to you, there's more. You, you can be thankful for how far He's brought you and He wants to continue to lead you into the fullness of everything that He's promised. Now, I went to Bible college, so not all of you have to. Here's the thing. We're gonna drop into Hebrews chapter 12. When this letter was written, it wasn't written in chapters. That's something that was done in sort of recent history just to make it easier to find stuff. Open the scroll and go, Ugh. I can I say, look, just scan the flow code, Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find it. But effectively, what we're about to drop into is just the very next thought. It's just a continuation, not of chapter 11, although technically it is, but it's just a continuation of the thoughts that, the author had walked us through in chapter 11. So this is the next connected thought. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers, the Hall of Faith inductees who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. See, the author of this letter who has just walked them through the hall of faith, didn't walk them through the hall of faith just to be interesting. We didn't teach on several of the hall of faith inductees just to be interesting. Oh, wow, I didn't know that about Moses. Very interesting. Gee, the, the ark was how big? Very. Okay, great, yeah. Uh, Rahab was a what? All very interesting, but not the point. The point is this, the point of looking and being instructed by and inspired by the Hall of Faith inductees is this. It means we'd better get on with it. We'd better start and continue to go for everything that God's promised us, not drifting, not quitting, Continuing to fight, not settling, continuing to fight for all that God's promised us. And then the, the author actually lists uh, a couple of things that if we leave them unattended and unaddressed, may, may actually kind of cause us to settle, almost force us to settle. Goes this, to see what this means, all these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering sign, it means they better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual 
fat. Now, I need to qualify a couple of things because here in Australia, strip down, start running means something very different, means something very illegal. Pretty sure that streaking is not what the author was encouraging us to do because if, yeah, it's going very, 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 very silly, very, very quickly. But they do use the metaphor of running, okay? And, and, and they point to this idea about no extra spiritual fat. They're talking about body composition as it pertains to this metaphor of running and, and, and running the race that God's called us to do. Now, this guy, let's, let's show up a photo of this guy. Uh, this is Eliud Kipchoge. Now, if you're not a follower of distance running, he is the current men's marathon world record holder. Listen carefully. You need to listen very, very carefully. The current, are you listening? Men's marathon world record is two hours, one minute and 39 seconds. Let me just slice and dice that for you if you like. Is that fast? It's running at 21 kilometres an hour for two hours. I get around on a Vespa. I don't think my Vespa could cover 42 kilometres in two hours. That's just the reality, right? Now, you'll notice this guy is not carrying around much unnecessary body fat. But here's the reality. Kipchoge, he could run with an, with, with an extra 10 kilograms of fat on his body. But not as effectively. And so the author of this letter says to us, start running and get rid of extra spiritual fat. You can still follow Jesus to a certain level of effectiveness with some excess spiritual fat, but not to maximal effectiveness. So don't settle for lugging around the extra 10 kilos of spiritual fat, get rid of it. And you'll find by doing so, you will start running the race that God's called us to do very effectively. And this metaphor of running that the author used, it's not a coincidence. It's this idea that these heroes of the faith, these Hall of Faith inductees, they ran their race. And here's a reminder of what they did and how they ran it. And they ran to the finish line. They've now passed on the baton to us. It's a relay race. And we're meant to grab the very same baton that they were carrying, the, the, the baton that's, that's, that says that we've been charged with the responsibility of doing everything God's called us to do, of, of pursuing God and all of His promises. That's, that's in our hands now. And, and you will run this race more effectively by one, getting rid of extra spiritual fat. So, what qualifies as extra spiritual fat? Here's one, toxic relationships. Hello. Some of you like a name sprung into your head. The instant I said, and because these are the people who are cynical, who are critical, either critical to you or critical about you. 
uh, what's, what, these, these could be people who, who actually have a level of influence in your life where you find yourself being pulled away from kingdom priorities, sometimes without even realising it. And then you go, oh, and then you realise it and you're like, well, how'd that happen? It's because Billy Bob over here is toxic to your relationship following Jesus. So toxic relationships. Reese McBeast and I had a conversation about a month ago. He shared with me, he'd been telling a friend of his who are in their 40s, who has a collection of toxic relationships. Reese is like, you know, that's not actually helping you. And, 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 and she said to him, and this is a very reasonable response. She said this particular friend in their mid 40s, it's very difficult to sever friendships and build new friendships in your mid 40s, right? And Reese was like, yeah, because he's in his mid 40s. I, I don't understand. I'm not there yet. But um, <laughs> so, so and, and I don't know the friend and I'm not, I'm not dunking on her. I'm just using it as an example. Sometimes it's easy to settle because you say it's better to have toxic friendships than no friendships. The writer of Proverbs said it this way, better bad love than no love at all. It's like, well, yeah, that's an example of settling. So there's, there's one uh, example of spiritual fat. Here's another one, guilt. There's a growing uh, collection of social commentators who have been highlighting the, uh, the observation that in our culture, increasingly in our culture, guilt and shame and people feeling guilt and shame is on the decrease. And I see those articles and I'm like, are you sure? I lead a church. We spend half our time praying for people. To, and, 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 and so they get my attention. So I read these articles. Let me, let me share some of their observations. And I, I think you might appreciate where they're coming from when they make this comment that guilt and shame are on the decrease. They use examples like people telling you that they're going to do something and then not doing it and not feeling guilty about it. Like they'll text you too, too bad, too sad as like instead of an apology. Uh, people gaslighting you, even though they know as they're telling you something that's BS, that it is BS, but they're telling you and they're no problem. Uh, people who act in knowingly offensive ways and don't apologize. Like, well, just toughen up princess. The, the, the sort of guilt and shame associated with that, that's the stuff these people are talking about. And, and I, share, I share this, it's kind of like, it's not really the point of the message. I'm sharing that because we as Jesus followers, we need to be better. We need to model better. Our word needs to be our bond. If I say something to you, if I commit to you, if I say I'm gonna do something, I'll do it. I'll do it. You don't have to remind me. Okay, you might have to remind me, but you don't have to convince me. Because that sort of lack of guilt and shame around this, that part, of, it's, it's actually eroding the fabric of our society because you start questioning whether you can trust somebody. Not necessarily the person that let you down. They're proven that they're probably not trustworthy, but you start to maybe take that and transposing that onto someone else who hasn't yet let you down. But you're like, oh, they probably will. So we need to be better than that. But that's not the sort of, spiritual fat 
when it comes to guilt that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the sort of guilt and spiritual fat that is the byproduct or the aftermath or the residue of us saying, thinking, or doing something less than God's best, aka sin. That we've done something that God's like not happy with. And, and we start to carry around some, the weight of guilt every day, like carrying it every day, extra spiritual fat. It can start to make us dislike ourselves, can start to convince us that we're unworthy of being used by God or disqualified from being used by God. It steals our joy because you know what's happened. The great news is that when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't just take your sins with Him, He took your guilt and shame with Him. And so that when you sin, because you do, by the way, when I say you, I mean we, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. When we sin, it's not unlikely or uncommon that there's some guilt associated, but the, the confession of the sin, Jesus, I'm sorry. I did it again. I said it again. I thought it again. I'm sorry. can you also help me deal with any of the weight of guilt that I'm carrying around as well? Take that from me. And he's like, yeah, I will do that. Absolutely, 100%. Don't let your past sins steal your future joy. Confess them, surrender them, and keep on running. Okay, now, strip down, start running, never quit, no extra spiritual fat, and then there's this one. This is the other thing. The, the, the writer only talks about two things that can cause us to settle, no parasitic sins. And the sins here aren't last year's sins. They aren't last decade's sins. They're the sins that are on our radar right now, that right now are gonna retard our ability to run effectively, all right? Now, the following is not to be construed as medical advice, my understanding is that a parasite is something that can get on the inside of a host and will start to eat that host from the inside out. And, and by that definition, Sarah, two thumbs up. Oh, rubbish. She gave me a near enough, all right? Listen, uh, by this definition, any sins that are left undiagnosed and or untreated will actually eat you. I mean, sins typically cause damage to other people, but carrying them around on the inside left undiagnosed or unaddressed will ultimately eat you alive from the inside out. But here's more great news. This is an area where God's Holy Spirit kicks into top gear. See, when we sin, not if, when we sin, the, the pro move is to go quickly to God and say, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot, I did it again. But don't just confess. 
Because if you just confess, this is, this is what your confession will start to look like. Yeah, it's me again. I did it again. I'm sorry again. I'll see you next week again. And you feel powerless and you start to beat yourself up more. You start to feel that you're caught in this cycle of captivity. One of the ways God's Holy Spirit kicks into gear when we sin is He brings conviction, right? Now, understand this. Conviction on the surface and initially can feel very, very similar to guilt because it's an opportunity to remind you or highlight to you and me, we did that thing that was less than God's best, right? So God's Holy Spirit shines a light and says, hello, I saw that. It can feel very similar to guilt, but the reason it's different is conviction. It's like staging an intervention. The whole purpose of God's Holy Spirit pointing that thing out is so that He can empower us to move beyond. Not just to go, <laughs> not to broadcast it to your friends and family, not to post it on social media, not to start a Wikipedia page about you and your list, growing list of sins. It's to say, you don't have to get stuck here, you don't have to settle at this altitude. By yourself, you probably won't be able to break free of this. If history says just anything, because you haven't yet, that's why we keep having this intervention. But I'm saying to you, my intervention is all about empowerment, not about guilt and shame. And so God's Holy Spirit wants to empower us to be able to run more effectively, but we've got to know and be able to deal with getting rid of spiritual fat. So it's God, it's me again. I did that thing again. Can you please forgive me again? And can you please empower me by your Holy Spirit because I want to move beyond this. I want to experience better. I want to go to a higher altitude. And, and, and He will do a ton of different things. He might bring some specific people into your life that are going to be advocates for you. They're on team you, on team destiny on team purpose, on team better, on team higher altitude. He might say, you know what? Some counselling probably wouldn't go astray. And you're like, all right, sure. Anything. He's gonna have uh, words from the, the Bible just like spring to life. And you're like, oh my gosh, I never noticed that. That's, and on it goes. People in other parts of, of the, their day get tapped on the shoulder to pray for you and you don't even know that they have. Like, anyway, it's, it's so good. There's a poem called An Autobiography in Five Chapters by Portia Nelson. Let me read it to you. It's not very long, but you'd have to pay attention. So it's an, auto, it's, it's an autobiography in five chapters. Come on the journey with Portia Nelson. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. 
It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend not to see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. Still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I fall in. It's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down a different street. You can look it up. An autobiography in five chapters. I walk down a different street. And sometimes that's what God's Holy Spirit is ultimately wanting to get you to. A better street. And again, he might use people, all sorts of things. And then the writer zeroes in on the ultimate example. Remember, he's talked about these Hall of Faith inductees, and Moses and Abraham and Noah and Rahab and Gideon. And he got to the end where he's just like, and there's all these other bozos as well. And I don't have time to write about them. There's just so many. Um, and, then he, and then he zeroes in on the ultimate, ultimate example to follow. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Jesus held the baton on earth for 33 and a half years because He never lost sight of where He was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, whatever. And now he's now see, and now he's there. He's 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 finished. He's got through the finish line. He's now in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves, again, it's when not if. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he ploughed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. 10th of November, 1912, Australian explorer and geologist Douglas Mawson led a three man, himself included being one of the three men, a three man party to uh, explore and map previously uncharted parts of Antarctica. It was meant to be a, a 90 day journey. They took with them 12 dogs, two sleds, and enough rations and supplies for about three months. And after five weeks of very solid progress, one of the three uh, men in, in the party fell into a crevasse and couldn't be rescued and actually took with him accidentally uh, some of the best sledding dogs, the sleds and the rations. And so Mawson and his remaining colleague uh, were left with very little rations to survive on. Several weeks later, unsurprisingly, Mawson's remaining colleague fell into a coma and, and he died. Mawson then solo embarked on the remaining 160 kilometre journey back to main base. 
He faced blizzards and winds of over 200 kilometers an hour. Some suggest it might have even been as much as 300 kilometers an hour. Unsurprisingly, he faced hallucination, dehydration, extreme hunger. He himself fell into a crevasse at one point and barely, barely got out. He wrote in his diary that he kept repeating in his head, must go on, must make haste, must make haste, must go on. And after 90 days alone in the snow, he was found by a rescue team. This journey, there was a, a book written about it. The subtitle of the book was, is The Greatest Survival Story in the History of Exploration. <laughs> and you're not going to be surprised to learn that when he got back to main base, he was asked the question, how in the world did you survive? How in the world did you keep going? And, and he, without speaking, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a photograph and he, and he held it up and he said this. This is what kept me going. And it was a photograph of his fiance. It was a photograph of somebody that he loved and that loved him back. And every day he focused on her and he said that focus that love that I knew she was feeling for me and that love that I had for her, that is the thing that caused me to keep going despite everything being against me. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how He did it. Because He never lost sight of where He was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honour, right alongside God. So when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he ploughed through. That will shoot, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Let me pray. We're finishing this series, but we, <laughs> but we haven't finished the race. Duh. And I've loved, and I shared this with our team earlier, I've loved the stories that I've been personally hearing over this eight week period of people actually taking next steps in very practical aspects of their lives and then discovering that God was good for it, <laughs> that He could be trusted. That's what faith looks like. I now trust God more in that area. Um, so encouraging. Again, it's not, we don't teach to be interesting. I hope it is, but it's not the end of the story. It's to be able to go from here equipped, inspired, instructed to say, I need to take a next step in this area. So we've talked today about cutting off some spiritual fat, about addressing some parasitic sins, and then about focusing on Jesus and uh, ultimately not settling ultimately continuing to fight for what God's already promised, but the fight is about the taking possession of those promises and doesn't happen automatically. So I'm gonna pray that we would individually and corporately as Elevate Church, that that, that, that would be a hallmark of who we are.
that we continue to take next steps, that we don't settle, that we're grateful for everything that God's done for us already, how far He's brought us already, but knowing that the race continues and that there's more and better ahead of us. Thank you, Jesus, for providing the ultimate example of somebody who endured whatever was thrown at you because you had your eyes fixed on the prize, that place of honour that you would be seated next to the Father and that, and that He would say to you and did say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and that, that would be said of us. That would be said of us individually. Tim, well done, good and faithful servant. Put your name in there. That, 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 that because you didn't quit, you didn't drift, you, you didn't settle, that, that you, you can actually imagine the sweet ring of those words being spoken over you when you finally finish the race. And that we as a church, we're, we're thankful for all you've done, God. We're thankful for all that you're doing, God, and we are not going to settle for anything less than the fullness of your promises for us, in us, and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.